Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Hello, 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 and welcome to another episode of Do The Work Podcast. My name is Sabrina Zohar, and I am your host. Guys, I am fucking amped for this episode. We have this week my favorite therapist, Flynn Skidmore. He is amazing, and we are talking about anxious attachment, all things attachment styles, actually, and really getting more into the nitty gritty of like, what does it actually mean to have anxious attachment style? How does your nervous system play into it? And just so many other things. I just can't wait. Let's get right on into the episode, guys. I think you're going to love it. Awesome, Flynn. I'm so excited. Welcome to Do The Work Podcast. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. And so for anybody who doesn't know who Flynn is, you are, I've actually been following you for a long time. You are one of my favorite therapists because I really resonated with the way that you speak. Um, and I, and funnily enough, Flynn and I just pivoted this entire conversation because we're going to talk about things like anxious, avoidant, secure, fearful, dismissive, all those fun things because it resonates more with the both of us. But Flynn, I'd love you to introduce yourself to the community and share a little bit about your background and what your practices and things that you love to work with and clients. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much. I, um, and I really appreciate that the things that I say resonate with you. Thank you. Uh, Same for you. I really, really love your content and your vibe and the way that you communicate is really inspiring to me. Um, yeah, I'm a, I'm a therapist mostly I'm not, I'm so I think when people hear therapists, like what a therapist conventionally is, is, is getting a person to stable, I'm honestly a lot more interested in taking a person from stable to taking them to a life of their wildest dreams. Um, So what I'm really interested in is um, creating spaces for people to allow their vision of their ideal selves to be as big as they want it to be and to engage in the process of taking that vision and turning it into reality in every area of life. That's that's the thing that I'm really interested in. I like to think of it as like helping people go from thinking beings, like thinking anxious, ruminating beings to creative beings where a person understands that in every single moment they can create the experience that they want. And that a lifetime of more moments than not of creating the experience you want ends up becoming an extraordinary life. So that that's the thing that I really like help helping people do. That's awesome. And I love, I love that you even touched upon like, I think so often we think of therapy as being very cerebral, of being very like, if I can intellectualize it, then I can understand it, versus it being like, well, no, I think that's more comprehensive. It's like it's feeling the experiences, it's living the experiences, and it's getting necessary like a little bit out of here and maybe more into the rest of it. Um, how long have yeah. you how long have you been practicing for? I think I started my practice in 2008. So I've been a therapist 
for five years. Um, but I would say that I've been in this space doing this kind of thing. I it's since my early twenties, probably since 21 or 22. Like, um, it's, it's been the thing, I, what I've been obsessed with since I was 18 was change and what change is and how, how organisms and systems change. I understood at 18 that, um, my body and the way that I move was not just about my body and the way that I move, but it was the expression and the reflection of my personality and my experiences and my consciousness and my awareness. And I became really interested in understanding uh, how to access like world-class level movement by accessing world-class level consciousness with the understanding that that thing would express itself through my body. So obsessed with that and how people change um, and have been doing this now for like 15 years, I guess. That's awesome. I think for, yeah, I mean, I know there is nothing better than when you talk to somebody like a client or anybody, and then you see the change over time. You see the thought processes change. You see their actions, their behavior. You get those emails of like, holy shit, I don't feel anxious today. It's like, oh, what a win. It's like the most rewarding feeling. And let me ask you, I know that we're going to talk about so much fun shit today, but is there like a standout that changed you? Is there something that you started to implement for yourself that you saw the most profound change besides obviously like therapy and just, you know, talking? Great, great question. So the, the perspective that I think the, there's like kind of a moment between Lynn struggling, depressed, frustrated, but knowing that great things are available to me and Flynn, who's actually stepping into a level of excellence that matches how I perceive myself. And one of the most important things in between those spaces was stepping away from thinking that there was a formula for how things are supposed to be done and spending my energy trying to find that formula and instead seeing that I have a unique energetic pattern and that what my responsibility is, is paying attention to what energizes me and paying attention to what depletes me and investing more energy into what energizes me and divesting my attention and energy from what depletes me, either divesting it or transforming it. Um, so life became all about committing to optimizing and maximizing my energy. And that's like, of course, that's action and food and sleep, but that's also like things I think, words I say, everything is either energizing me or depleting me. And so the commitment to stepping away from hoping that there's such a thing as a right or a wrong or a good or a bad or some prescription out there for who I'm supposed to be and into just a commitment to optimizing my energy is the thing that changed everything. Yeah, I can totally relate to that. I I for, I think for a while I was wildly unaware of like how I came off to people. Like when I say I was the poster child for anxiety, like textbook. It was daddy mm -hmm. issues, feeling abandoned, seeking external validation through men, using my body and sex in order to try to get that. But 
always feeling empty, even if I did have somebody. And it wasn't until I started to really shift like, well, what is it that I actually want? What is it that actually makes mm -hmm. me feel fulfilled? So fitness, okay, moving my body, you know, then it, it, then it started to engage into like, cool, okay, so ingesting different content. And then it turned into having different thought processes. And it evolved to a point where like, I then really started to trust myself because I became very clear on what felt like it resonated with me, which is even the mm -hmm. same with like content creation of like, I can't stand all the black and white thinking of like, if this happens, then it means this. And it's like, well, we're mm -hmm. nuanced creatures. We're humans. I know. We yes. You're, you're on that's TikTok. That's what I was you know. saying. I, I, that's what I was saying. I can't, uh, I, I can't take like, uh, oh, if someone is having this experience, what should they do? Or what are some tips to navigate? I can't, I, I can't do that because it, in my mind, that doesn't exist. Like that thing of, oh, here's what you're supposed to do. The only way to answer those questions is to actually dive into that person's experience and, and learn about what they like and what they don't like and what they want and what's energizing them and what's depleting them. There's there's, I think the fastest way to a personal formula is releasing the hope that there exists some general formula or prescription for how all of this is supposed to be done or, or who we're supposed to become. Totally. I love like releasing any kind of attachment or expectation or that's why, honestly, even like whenever I'm working with anybody, the minute though, if I get a why on why is somebody doing this? I'm instantly like, oh, you lost me. I don't want to figure out why other people are behaving in this the way that they're behaving. Because mm -hmm. like you said, it's like we can we need a conversation with these people. We need to talk to them about what's going on and where is this stemming from and what's coming up for you and what's happening for you and things like that. And I think so often, especially with like the anxious community, and I love my folks, don't get me wrong, but it's like we are so hyper-focused on what other people are thinking that we don't really stop to think, what is it that I want? Because that like feels mm -hmm. selfish or like mm -hmm. you should, like my client this morning was telling me, I loved her. And she was like, I feel, she's like, is it narcissistic of me to, to put up a boundary and think of myself? And I was like, man, th that's the perception of thinking about myself feels selfish. And mm -hmm. It's always been so mm -hmm. wild to me, but let me ask you, did you ever feel like, where did you fall on the spectrum? Did you feel like, did you have anxiety growing up or were you more avoidant or secure? Like, how did you feel like you fell? All of it. All, okay. I, all of it. And my experience that like when I, when I am with people and, and doing a really deep and intimate dive into their inner worlds, like I find that if, if anxiety is there, then also all of it is there. There's also avoidance and there's, it's all there. So in my experience, um, looking back, I, at the time I had no idea how to describe what I was experiencing or what it was, but looking back on it, I can see that I was all over the place too, like experiencing anxiety all the time in all different types of contexts, avoiding and ghosting, um, which I, I still have problems. I still struggle with all of those things. It's just gotten less bad over time. Um, but yeah, all all over the place in different relationships. Some one relationship I'd be anxious. Another relationship I would be avoidant. I thought that avoidant meant secure, and then I would sort of shame the person who was anxious for not being secure. But actually, I was being avoidant and like gaslighting them. So all over the place. 
I, and you know what? Thank you for being honest and real about that answer and not being like, I'm, I've moved into secure and I'm, you know, I know myself. It's like, I think that's where people resonate with probably both of us. It's like, no, we're human. And I, I try to explain to people like, you are not a fixed like first, there's a couple of things here to clarify. You're not a fixed attachment style. You're not just, you're anxious. Okay, that's it. You're anxious. So all you do is, because I'll get people and they're like, oh, I felt avoidant though. Does that mean I am a two? It's like, why are we trying to self-diagnose so heavily? And I'm like, it's almost as if you right. feel like you belong. You know, if you're like, no, I'm anxious. Right. It's like, yes. you belong. Yes. Then you have an identity. Yes. Yes. Versus more yes. of like, what's coming up for me? Where did I learn this from? Where is this stemming from? And I'm like, uh, my goal is to get away from all the insecure and just at least get to a point of security, which to me, what that meant was that I could be okay alone, but I could also be okay with other people. And that my life wasn't, yes. you know, I wasn't like waiting for another shoe to drop or constantly feeling like, I, you know, to those, I'm not kidding when I say I used to be so anxious, I would leave my phone by me and I would constantly leave the light on so I could see when I'd get the text. Like it was to a point where another yes. person validating me Yes. Made my, my day for about 10 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's like, like in that space and I know that space, like I can think about one, two relationships that I've been in that have been like that, where you need this person's text message, like you need oxygen. It's oh, actually, yeah. actually like, I can think about examples that I've had where like, I couldn't get out of bed because my only energy source was this person's text and not just a text. I needed like an enthusiastic, fun, loving text that let me know that the rest of my life was going to be okay because I knew I didn't like this relationship, but I was terrified to leave it. Like, yes, it's the worst being in that place. It's, and I think most of the questions I get revolve around texting and dating. That would probably be the like, I don't know what I'm doing. Da, 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 and I'm like, it's, and for me, I don't know what school of thought you're in. Like, I'm a big proponent of not texting a lot in the early stages of dating. Cause I'm like, I don't want that to happen. I don't want to get to the point where, you know, cause we've all had it. We're like, especially when you're anxious, you're texting non-fucking stop. It's like 24 seven and you're mm. so excited and you get all, and then you create this version of them and then there's no tone. So you start to think, oh my God, but then like, how cute is it going to be when we meet and we're going to go to this place and then our life. And then you look on their Instagram and you're like, they went to Greece. Oh, I want to go to Greece. And this whole entire thing mm. happens. And then you go on a date. Maybe you never see that person again because whoop whoop-de-doo, they don't owe you anything. It's not a commitment. Mm -hmm. And like literally you feel like your entire fucking world has crumbled because you didn't get your good morning text. And so for me, I'm mm -hmm. always like, I suggest not engaging in texting when you're dealing with that. But I'd love to know, like, what are you, what are some tips or tricks or anything to handle this kind of anxiety that you had felt? Because obviously you went through it personally that you implemented that helped you move through it so that you didn't feel like you needed somebody's fucking message to make your week. Yes. Well, I think unfortunately and unfortunately, I I think it is a it's a bigger thing than a tips and than tips and tricks. Yeah. I I really, really like. So I would describe myself as securely attached predominantly now. Right. Even then there are, of, of course, remnants of um, mostly avoidant attachment that shows up right. not in my relationship, but actually in other areas of my life, like friendships. Like sometimes I drop the ball with business stuff too, with like getting back to people and like, 
so so but predominantly i would describe myself as securely attached so what got me from uh all over the place attached like some relationships anxious some relationships all some relationships avoidant too secure is um I would now say I can go to bed tonight and I can say to myself, I am doing every single thing possible to bring my dream life into reality. I am doing every single thing. I know that I am in the flow of action, of actualizing and becoming exactly who I want to be. And I know I will spend the rest of my life doing that and continue to get better and better and better at it. And that allows me to, that thing that people do of like coming up with the story, I'm like, oh my God, like how cute would our babies be? And they haven't met. And like, I want to go to Greece too. And then they want a good morning story. Like what's happening for that person is that the, they are starting to create a version of safety that's based on a story. And then their mind and their body, their nervous system start to believe that in order to access nourishment, they need that story to come true. Mm -hmm. And so it creates an attachment to this story, like the story is the source of safety and the source of nourishment. And then when you start to perceive that, oh shit, actually this story may not come to fruition, well then like you don't have safety anymore. So this becomes your only source of safety and just like truly your body needs it like you need oxygen and you grasp at it and you need that thing to be true. That's the thing that is anxious attachment. I found that the only thing it's the only thing truly to transcend that is to become a person who can say every single night when you go to bed, yes, I am doing everything possible to uh, fully commit to the to the exact life that I want to live and becoming exactly who I want to be. Man, you articulated that so well. You put that into such a, even just I, my head, I was like, nobody's going to see this. I was nodding <laughs> the whole time. Um but even, yeah, it's so true. It's like that that perception of safety. And then that's where it's like you fall for the idea of a person. And then they even half the time you meet them and you're like, you're trying to get back to that. Or like you you hang out with them. Yes. And you're like, man, I thought they were going to be cooler. Like I, this, this person's not as great. And what I find for me, what at least personally made me kind of go there, it was such a detachment from myself. It was I was so detached from my wants and needs. I was so... I wasn't, it, they, they weren't connecting. The head and the heart had no conversation whatsoever together. And so when I would attach to the idea of these people and I would say like, oh my God, if I don't get it from them, it's the end of the world. Even when they would show me that this was not a partner that I'd want, it was still very much like, no, I need to make it work. I have to, because mm -hmm. my validation is going to come from this person. And it was, it was a, the only way I can describe it. It's like, it was a hell that I don't wish any, I don't wish upon my worst enemy yeah. because there yeah. isn't. The anxiety that I felt like in my body and now that I've become so in tune, like even yesterday I was able to, like I was telling my therapist what I did and she was like, you literally did what you're supposed to do. She's like, I don't know why I'm here actually, because I like, I had a really anxious thought and I started to spiral and then I started to connect with my body and see where I felt it and how it was feeling. And then I started to figure out kind of the same thing of like, okay, well, how can I get to the life I want? What are the actionable steps I can take that are within my control? I can't control 
algorithms, thanks TikTok. We can't control other people. I can't control if somebody's going to do something. But what I can control is the content I put out there or the things, the messaging that I'm saying and doing something within my power to create this future in the life that I wanted. And I was finally able to go to bed saying, you fucking did it, kid. You did it. You pushed through those boundaries. And I showed that little me like, hey, don't worry about it. We don't have to wait. Because for me, all my life, my dad controlled finances. And it was like, we no longer have to feel like the only safety comes from when he gives. The safety can now come from when mm -hmm. I give. Mm -hmm. Yes, 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 exactly. Yeah. I'm so glad that you brought up that part of it. Like, um, uh, you, I, th I think you refer to it as like your inner child or the little you that's having that experience. Um, it is such an essential component of it to be aware of the parts of you or what in you is being activated or triggered yeah. when anxiety is happening in a relationship. Because it's um, in the internal family systems model, which I, I have you ever heard of that? I, I yes. love it. I love it so much. Um, I, I think it's just fantastic. It's also important to know that the guy, Dick Schwartz, who like he branded it really well because he's a smart business person, but he didn't invent it. Like people who don't even know about internal family systems practice internal family systems because it's just this very beautiful, intuitive way of understanding who we are and how we operate. But so you have uh, your higher self, or the capital S self, which is the version of you who has infinite, abundant, unconditional access to expansiveness and well-being, like in a state of love, in a state of groundedness, no matter the circumstances, no matter it's it's the part of you that's not human, the part of you that's infinite. And then you have all of these parts of you who are human, who are invested in your finite human experience, who are afraid of pain, who are afraid of rejection, who are afraid of loss. These parts of you have been conditioned to believe that your access to well-being, your access to love, safety, and belonging is conditional. Because mm -hmm. in part, as a human, it is conditional. Like you could die, you could be rejected, et cetera. So the task is like, the task is learning to relate to your wounded parts from the perspective of your capital S self. It's not to like bypass them. It's not to try and intellectualize through them or past them. It's to bring those parts of you who are afraid and anxious into your experience and have them experience a sense of belonging to your internal tribe. Mm -hmm. When your parts who are thinking that love, safety, and belonging comes from this person texting you, when those parts start to understand that they're thinking what they hope or what they think is that when you get that text, then you'll get relief and then you'll get groundedness and then you'll get peace. So what they want are certain feelings and what they are doing is attaching their access to getting those feelings to this one thing happening, which is this person texting you. And like, of course it would feel amazing if this person sent you the best good morning text ever. That's true. And what we want to do is to help our parts have an experience of relief, relaxation, and groundedness because they belong to us. So they're getting the thing from us 
that they're hoping to get from this thing externally. And when that happens, then we don't need the good morning text as much because we already have the thing that we want as a result, which then increases the likelihood that we are a person who invites and attracts a really fun good morning text. So well said. It's like, I'm a big proponent of like, you want all these things in a partner. It's like, you also have to embody those things as a partner, because if I'm wildly insecure and super anxious and questioning everything on the planet, I'm not going to have someone super secure that's going to be giving all that because it's never enough. And it's like, especially the texting thing, such a point of contention for me. And it's always, I get the thing of, it takes two seconds to send a text. And it's like, yes, but what you're missing is the point of what is, what do you really need that text for? And what is that trying yes. to say to you? And let's let's also call it what it is. It's never just one fucking text. It's never just right. one text because one text turns into, but you only sent me one. And why couldn't it's like you are an endless pit of needs that nothing externally yes. is going to be able yes. to fulfill. Yes. And I learned yes. that because I could literally I could sit here right now and somebody could text me in that moment. And it's like, and sure enough, what happens? It could be the most beautiful, well-written thing, but you'll be like, yes. They put two periods. I knew he didn't like me. And it's like, it's not enough because anxious brain is going in overdrive to be like, no, you need to find a problem here. Yes, yes, yes. A hundred percent. Anxious, the anxious brain could have every single man in, if what you want to date is a man, every single man in the world text you the most enthusiastic text possible and it wouldn't be enough. There, there's no satisfying that level of anxiety when the when it's about that external need. It just doesn't happen. Did you ever watch that show, Big Mouth? No. Oh my god! No, it's so good. You but have it to watch it. Funny. It seems hilarious. It's hilarious. And so the whole thing is it's these kids that are coming of age. And so in there, there's the depression kitty and it's like all the extra, but then there's the anxiety mosquito and literally all the anxiety, all the anxiety mosquito does is like when the girl is just walking, she just buzzes around her head. She's like, but what if he does this? And what if he does this? And oh my God, but I'm freaking out. And it's like, that's how I envision it. That's how I see anxious brain. It's like the little Yenta that's always finding a, it's the Karen that always wants to find an issue (laughs) and discredit. And that's where like, I had to become so fucking self-aware of where those thoughts were coming from. Like it's my self-awareness is to the point where sometimes I'm like, I wonder if this is a good or bad thing, but I can tell you when some, when I get triggered, I'm like, I know exactly how it feels in my body. I know exactly where it came from. I know exactly which version of little me is, is needing me. And that is always where I'll go in. And I do that where I like my step process is I identify what the trigger was. I identify how it felt in my body. And then I identify what the narrative was. And that allows me to chip away. And I've gotten quicker and quicker and quicker at it to where I can then identify, is there an actual threat? Like, is this something that is bothering me out of it's bothering me? There's something real or is it the narrative that's creating an issue? And I think mm-hmm. a lot of people bypass mostly what I see that middle step. They bypass the, mm-hmm. how does it feel? What's the narrative? And they just go right into like, well, I'm not good enough. I'm not worthy. And those core beliefs rearing their ugly the head. Conclusions. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. And to me, I found that's the, when you're going to stick on that and stay in rumination and stick on that side, it's like, you might as well be trying to fucking swim a marathon in molasses. Like you're not getting anywhere. Mm-hmm. It feels like you're just being sucked down further. And I just wish so many people understood, like you all, you have the power over your mind. Your mind doesn't have the power over you. And I know it might sound easy, but both of us are saying here. And it's like, look, even just you being like, yeah, when I go to bed, these are my thoughts. It's like, yes, everybody can have those thoughts. 
if mm-hmm. we start to look at those parts about us that we've been ignoring. Yes. Uh, yeah. That's the thing that's essential is to me, that thing of actualizing a dream life doesn't exist without um, expanding expanding the limitations of your capacity to unconditionally love all things, everything within yourself, everything around you, which of course doesn't mean that you have to unconditionally include things and invest your energy into it. But what it's about is practicing remaining in a state of love, curiosity, awe, wonder in response to the things that you've been conditioned to shame and be afraid of and and all that. So it's it's this like it's this high level of drive to create an extraordinary life while also this high level of drive to to expand one's capacity to unconditionally love. Like both things happening at the same time to me seem to be the thing that helps a person transcend something like anxious attachment in relationships. I love that. And what do you, did you have any like suggestions on, you know, I think a lot of people, there's a lot of shame. Like, how do you push through the shame that's associated? You know, I get, why am I like this? Why do I act like this? There's almost like an anger with that. And for me, I'm like, I try to show compassion. That's usually my way, but I don't know if there was anything that comes to mind for you when shame is really something that comes a lot. So the way the, 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 the thing is to form a relationship between the unconditionally, infinitely loving self and the anxious part. And now that might not be immediately available because there might be other parts intervening who think that the best thing to keep you safe is to shame these other parts of you who are anxious, right? All of these, anytime a person is experiencing not well-being, fear, anxiety, shame, disgust, judgment, we can fairly, we can safely assume that a part has been activated. And anytime a part has been activated, it's an opportunity to become curious about how that part sees the world. One of the important things to do is to operate with the assumption that all of your parts are actually doing the thing that they sincerely believe they need to be doing in order to safely navigate the environment. So all of your anxious parts believe that anxiety is the exact right energy with which you need to successfully navigate the environment. And what happens with most people's lives is when they haven't formed that relationship between the capital S self and the part, they become the part. They become enmeshed with the part. They see the world through the eyes of that part. And if that part believes that anxiety is the correct energy with which they need to successfully navigate the world, that part will ensure that anxiety exists. So sleeping patterns, what that person eats, who they invest their energy, that that part will invest energy into a person where they know that they'll be anxious because this person's a shitty communicator or an asshole or whatever, right? And I'm not mm-hmm. actually being judgmental, but you know what I mean? <laughs> because that part really believes that anxiety is the thing, right? So operating with the assumption that this part is doing the absolute best that it possibly can given how it sees the environment is something that like 
can often open up doorways to be able to meet that part with compassion and curiosity and to be able to understand how this part sees the world. So what's it experiencing? What does the world look like to this part? And what does it want to experience? Because that's the other thing is after doing this work for probably tens of thousands of hours with people, I have never met an anxious part or a shameful part who wants to be anxious or shameful. They want to be grounded and peaceful and relaxed and loving. They just, they have been conditioned to believe these parts. They've been conditioned to believe that anxiety or shame is the best way to access love and groundedness. So it just so happens that they're using an ineffective approach in order to produce the results that they want. So that framework right there seems to help a lot of people like, unlock some access to being able to be compassionate and kind and curious towards these parts. Um, The other thing to keep in mind is like, if you want to meet your anxiety with compassion and curiosity, well, the shame part of you may not be ready for that yet because the shame part believes that that would be validating it and it'll make it worse and then you'll get more anxiety. So then the opportunity is to meet the shame part with compassion and curiosity and learn about the shame parts experience. Who is that person? What do they look like? How old are they? When did they learn these rules about the world? What's their energy like? What's their body language like? Like just learning about them at some point, the shame part will be like, whoa, you just offered me warmth and curiosity and love. I can relax a little bit now. I actually now trust that you applying warmth and curiosity and love to the anxious part is going to work to help that part too. So I'm going to chill out and step to the side and let you access that anxious part. And that's what the exploration of the subconscious is, is constantly doing that, constantly finding the ways in which we are conditioned to not access groundedness and to meet those parts of ourselves with love, warmth, and curiosity. That's all it is. That plus taking bold action. Fuck yeah. Oh yeah. No, I am I am so here for that. Um, sorry, I got distracted by something. No, I think that was so beautifully said. And now, let me ask you, could that is that really where the like anxious avoidant trap kind of starts to ensue where it's like one person, it feels like safety where it's like, oh, okay, I'm super anxious. So that is somebody that I know will accept my anxiety. Whereas like somebody maybe secure might not, might be like, yeah, that's not something I'm willing to fuck with because I, we see this all the time. It's like anxious and avoidant, anxious and avoidant. And I would love to to tap into that. And then I also do want to ask you a bit more on like dismissive or fearful, because I think that's something that I'm still relatively new to, but I think there's so many like, because we speak so much about anxious because it's the obvious, it's the outwards, you know, oh, well they're expressing and they're showing. And it's, it's, it's very much of this, like, that's the better one. And then avoidance, oh, they don't feel anything and they're so cold and they're so calloused and they just move on and they shut down. And it's like, there's obviously a reason the two of them consistently keep fucking with each other. So I'd love yeah. you, you know, and it's like, there's something going on yeah. here. And I know there's the basics of like somebody, avoid. you know, for me, I'd go for avoiding guys because it was like, oh, it was hot that they weren't so emotional and that they weren't as out for expressive. And it was fueling my anxiety and letting my anxiety know, keep going. You're doing a great job, sweetie. Mm-hmm. But I would love to know if we can even go a little further on that of like really that dynamic and more about the avoidant, because I don't think that they get a good rep. I just don't. Yeah. Yeah. It strangely, in a strange way, they get a bad rep and they're also the more celebrated one. Like, yeah. like, like culturally, I think 
the the icons that were given like most people would prefer to have access to avoidance than have access to anxiousness yeah right because it's the yeah. one that appears self-sufficient and like independent and okay yeah right what i see with a lot of um what i see with a lot of avoidant people which we may even I think there are a lot of different flavors of it, but one of the flavors is the hyper independent flavor. What I see with that is a person who in childhood um, had uh, had one or two parents who were really not emotionally like didn't had never learned how to be an emotional container for themselves. So projected all their emotional needs onto their kid. And then there's also this dynamic of like the kid is never good enough or it's never about them. They're never celebrated. It's really about the parents needs. So then that person becomes hyper independent. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I, what I notice in in that pattern, gen, with, with, what tends to happen in that hyper-independent pattern is like, I don't need anyone. I'm going to be able to do this all on my own, but I actually do need people and I want people. But as soon as someone shows a sign of like doing something that displeases me or asking too much of me, um, I'm going to just like totally shut off and keep going down this particular path because I, I can do this on my own. And a lot of them are highly capable people who can do a lot on their own. And when you explore their inner worlds, they don't want to do it alone. They want to be able to engage in like a, a super nourishing relationship. Um, so that's, that's something that I, I see pretty often. Yeah. And I think it, cause it's, it's, it's always so confusing to somebody that's anxious or even fucking somebody that's secure, but just in general with like, with somebody avoidant, I know that they can go for a little bit where I'm like, they might be regulated and everything's fine. And then the second you start to like talk about feelings or emotions, it's like, it's this overwhelming and the, always the thoughts are, oh, they don't care. And it's like, I think we can have some compassion for these people to understand like when they're dysregulated, whether it's really good or really bad, it's like, that's scary to them. That's dysregulation. And their thought process is like, I got to remove myself. Like this is too much. I can't handle it. I don't know how to show up for these people. And it's such a, that's where it's like, there's such a common misconception. It's not that they just don't care. Like there's not an indifference of just being like, oh, you have emotions, <laughs> but it's like mm -hmm. more of it's overwhelming for their own nervous system. And like, I always try to explain, I'm like anxious outwards avoidant inwards and like they're both mm -hmm. suffering they both have insecurities mm -hmm. they are both feeling mm -hmm. abandonment and rejection it's manifested now with mm -hmm. that being said we go into fearful and dismissive which are still i understand it but i'd love you to go into it further because that is something that i'm still new to so i i think of so i when i think of attachment types i think of um fearful avoidant I I've heard like all different ways of categorizing them. So tell me what you see fearful dismissive as so that then and then I may have a perspective on it. So what I okay, so for me like when I was introduced to all this cuz like I read attached to like every other fucking person, mm -hmm. but that was the first time what this was 2017 ironically, my super avoidant ex, who's a narcissist, gave it to me. And I was like, oh, because mm. he thought I had mm. the problem. Shocker. And I read it and I was like, okay, I understand avoidant. I understand avoidant, low sense of um, low sense of uh, others, high sense of self. I understand an anxious, low sense of self, high sense of others is why the validation. Secure, 
okay, fine, you can do both. To me, what I see the fearful and dismissive, to me, I always thought they were the same. I didn't realize if there's a difference, low sense of self and low sense of others of this, like they're wanting. And I, I think a lot of it from my understanding comes from like a, abusive homes and 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 that kind of um, parenting of you want the love, but then every time you went for it, you were reprimanded for it. So you removed got yourself. Got it. That's, okay, got it. Yeah, I, yeah. My my uh, my word for that, the word that I'm familiar with, is disorganized attachment. Okay. But yeah, yeah. So, uh, but it, I, I'm not. I, that has happened. Like different words for it, but yeah. Okay. Right. So fearful, fearful, dismissive, or what might be called disorganized attachment. I think okay. the best, the best, most relatable way of describing the wound underneath that, like think about, think about a parent of a newborn baby and that parent experienced a whole bunch of childhood trauma where when they had certain needs, they weren't able to express them or they got hurt or whatever, right? So that parent, like with loving intentions, their baby starts crying. So they pick up the baby to soothe the baby. But then all of a sudden the baby's crying triggers their unprocessed experiences of like communicating needs and not having those needs met, right. Or being hurt when they communicate those needs. And so then all of a sudden that parent like loses the soul in their eyes, right. Or it even makes them angry that the baby is crying. So the intention was to love, um, but then it turned, it switches on a dime and it turns into anger or violence or abuse. And so maybe they hit the baby or maybe they just cut the soul off and, and the baby can't see the warmth in the eyes anymore. Either way, the baby was experiencing some fear. It had a sense of who the source of safety was. So communicated to that source of safety. And then in the process of communicating to the source of safety, the source of safety then became the source of fear. So think about how confusing that is for the baby's nervous system. Like the source of safety and warmth is also the source of fear is also the source of safety is also the source of fear. That's generally, that thing is generally at the core of disorganized attachment, which is like, it shows up as craving connection, yet destructing any, just destructing connection all the time. Man, I just got the chills when you were talking about that. Wow. Yeah, no, that's a really good way to put it. And I, I'm with you. I'm like, I don't know the fucking terminology for it, but I know. Do you see it? Because a lot of people say I'm both. Do you see it as, is it really like an amalgamation of both or is it kind of its own entity? So the truth is, is I think that the learning, the categories are helpful to get to a place where you no longer think about the categories, you are more specific about what is happening in your experience. Because that thing that you were talking about a little while ago with like identifying the why, and then even going to that place of like, oh, if I think about myself, doesn't that make me a narcissist? All of that, all of that is the product of anxiety, which is hoping that thinking about things the correct way is going to be the thing that resolves the problem. What anxiety is, is an awareness that there's a, um, okay, so it's uh, it's an awareness that there's an effect. The effect is the, uh, the vigilance or the hyperactivation in the nervous system in the body. So what anxiety is, is trying to identify the cause through analysis. So thinking, 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 hoping that the intellectual satisfaction is going to be the thing that helps that person connect A with B. And when they connect A with B and they identify the cause, well, then they can like 
to have a different experience, but it doesn't work. It's endless. And that's that thing of like every man in the world could text you and it wouldn't be enough. So, so what we want to do is get out of the process of categorization and intellectualization and am I in this? Do I fit this? And more just in an experience of this is what is happening for me. I'm feeling this. I'm thinking this. And I wanted to share that with you because what I would prefer to be experiencing is groundedness and these thoughts. And I want to use our relationship to help me get from where I am to where I want to be. Being in that place is the thing that does what people are hoping to get as a result of correctly categorizing themselves as a certain attachment type, you know? Oh, um, totally. Yeah. Oh yeah. And I see, I'll get that where it's like, I think the guy I'm dating is avoidant and I think I'm, I'm a super anxiously attached and I'm like, okay, Hey, why don't we strip all the names? And I'm like, let's just get down to how do you feel? How do you feel with this person? Do you like how you feel with this yes. person? Doesn't yes. matter if it's fucking Gandhi or if it's a person that's a narcissist. I'm like, what does it matter the title that we give them? And I think it almost gives like we've talked about that identity. Oh, well, if I yes. know if I identify him as avoidant, well, then I know what I need to do to combat yes. that. And it's like, or yes. let's come back to ourselves. Same with disorganized. And it's like, I'll get a lot of people like, you don't talk about that enough. It's like, because at the end of the day, they're all stemming from an insecurity. They're all stemming from- It's all exactly- it's a disconnection. Ex exactly. Exactly. It's the solution for all of them is the same, which is taking a look at what the experience is, taking accountability and responsibility for your participation in the experience, for being attracted to, attracting, and choosing that experience, deciding whether or not you like that experience or what parts of it you like and what parts you'd like to be better investing in what you like and then transforming or releasing what you don't like. The process is the same. And so, yeah, you're so right. The hyperfixation on like who, you know, who's to blame here? What's the protocol for this? I'm this, they're this, they're this. It's just, it's just hoping that intellectual satisfaction will create results and it doesn't. No. And that's where it's like, and then you're like, have you like my number one thing? I'm like, sit in the discomfort. And well, what does that mean? I'm like, okay, do you know everybody doing ice baths? I'm like, they're not, okay. The, most people in California and LA are doing it to be on Instagram, but the masses, I'm like, you're doing the reason you really do an ice bath. I'm like, is because you're putting yourself through an uncomfortable situation and growing a resilience to it by using your mind to overcome things. I have done a million of them. And when I first started, I was like, I can't even do 30 seconds. And then a minute in, you're like, oh, Oh, that's it. Mm -hmm. Oh, give me another mm -hmm. minute. Give me another two. And I'm like, by sitting and growing a resistance to that uncomfortable feeling, what you're doing is you're facing it head on, as opposed to let me just intellectualize it. And if I just say that this guy's an, an a narcissist, which everybody is a fucking narcissist these days, apparently, or it's like if this person's avoidant, or if I if I can at least label them, I think what it also does is it releases some accountability on the person that is mm -hmm. labeling. It's like hundred. That's what it is. A hundred percent. If I can label, oh, yes. it's not my problem. And it's like, I know I have, I had a client the other day and she's like, I go for the same thing over and over. And she's like, it must be because they're all avoidant. And I'm like, no, what you're overlooking here is what's the behavior you keep accepting? Because it doesn't just so yes. happen to be that they're all avoidant. Sure. Right. But it's like, what is the behavior that you're seeing exhibited early on that you are accepting that is a very 
it's typical of somebody that might be that. It's not just because avoidance are the hottest ones. Uh, right. Right. And there is something hot about avoidant energy, yeah, but is. I do think that <laughs> whatever that, that element can be applied to non-avoidance. I do think that that's true. But the, the thing that you're saying, I think is so, you're so right. That's what it is. It's like, if I can correctly label this, then I'm not responsible and I'm not to blame. Like it's this thing that was in a book. And so now, okay. Like it's, but the way that the way that I like to think of the, to me, the most accountable way of seeing relationships is I'm not choosing a person. I'm choosing the version of myself when I invest energy into them, because that's what it is. If a person is finding themselves in patterns of angst where they're experiencing anxiety in relationships and where they're like the other person's avoidant, it's not about the other person. That person who's anxious is choosing to be anxious, of course, not consciously, right. subconsciously. The part of them believes that anxiety is the correct thing to be experiencing. So they will be attracting, attracted to, and choosing people and experiences that allow them to continue to, to experience anxiety. And if they like that, like I would always say, like if a person wants to spend their life angry and anxious, like I, my, I see my job as helping them become the best in the world at being ang angry and anxious without hurting people. So if that person likes that, then we're going to continue to do all the things that create that experience. If they'd like something else, well, the best way to create a different experience is to take the most amount of accountability and responsibility for what is and what has been, and then to put the power in their hands to create something else. Oh, perfectly said. I mean, I love radical accountability. I'm like, what? But then there's the pendulum that swings. I'm like, no, 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 don't take accountability for everything. It's not all your fault, but it's like, what did, what's my part in it? And then I think kind of to round this out, because we've had such a great conversation, but one thing we didn't talk about is secure is like, you know, mm. I think the, what's the number one thing we hear healthy equals boring. And it's like, no, mm. I'd love to hear your thoughts on like, really what does secure look like or how does that, what does that feel like? And maybe for somebody, cause like I hear this all the time. I met this girl and oh, well, when she gave me a lot of attention or she or he or whatever they, it made me uncomfortable. And it's like, for me, I'm like, oh yeah, because it goes against your core belief. Like that's, that's not mm -hmm. in alignment with what you, what you actually believe. But I think secure is an anomaly to a lot of people. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on that so that people can at least know what to look for. Yeah. So I, I personally never, never really think about secure. What I'm evaluating is this other person's capacity to co-create. So mm. I hold myself responsible for being as uh, highly capable of a creative being as possible. Now, when I'm at my most, when my, I'm at my highest capacity to create, when I'm at my most adaptable is when I'm sleeping nine hours, being really responsible about the ingredients in my food, like committed to making a contribution to other people's well-being, like all the things, right? All the things and cultivating this relationship with myself internally that is about expanding my capacity to love, um, all of these things contribute to my adaptability and my ability to be dynamic and my ability to create whatever I want in any given moment. So um, when I'm in, when I'm taking a look at whether or not I want to invest in this other person is like a romantic relationship, business relationship, whatever, 
I'm looking at their capacity to create their own experience. And then what I'm looking at is our dynamic and our capacity to co-create. So what that means is what's our ideal vision so let's say let's let's take like a more macro approach. What's what's our what's our 30 year vision? So what's your 30 year vision? Who do you want to be? What do you want to be doing? Like no holds barred, everything you want. What do you want? What's mine? Where's the overlap? Where's the marriage? Where's the harmony? Okay, amazing. I'm inspired by your vision. I like it. It seems energizing. The next thing is to start to take a look at your capacity to bring your vision to life. A lot of people have a vision, not that many people are that committed to bringing their vision to life. So are you able to actually do it? Are you able to actually take the actions and the steps to become the person that you want to be? The next thing I look at is the rate at which that you do that. So it might take you 30 years to become who you want to be. Am I okay with 30 years? Is that satisfying or do I do I want it in a month? Is that satisfying to me? Um, and so I'm taking a look at that. And I'm I'm always looking at those things. I'm looking at the person's capacity to create and investing my energy into people who have high, who have visions that I like and, and inspire me and align with what I want and who have a high capacity to bring their vision to life. That thing, being a creative being is what we're talking about when we're talking about being a secure person. But this version of it is the opposite of boring because in this in this co-creative version it's about both people getting to become exactly who they want to be using the relationship as a source of energy and a source of accountability for both people to become exactly who they want to be and in that model the co-creative model what i find is that when you're investing your energy and your attention into a person who has a high capacity to create uh you get access to a vision of who you could be that's even greater than what you could imagine on your own. And then the other person gets that too. That is the relationship that I am committed to teaching people. Um, I don't even really know what secure is. And in that book attached, um, I, uh, like, I think that's, I can't remember the statistic, but like a super surprisingly high level of people said we're secure, right? 50%. 50. 50 I don't they claim. Know, I don't know a single person who is like fully secure. So yeah. I don't know where they got that number from, right? Yeah. So strange to me. So I don't think about secure. I think about co-creative capacity, but I'll give an example of um, what that looks like in a relationship that I like. Cause uh, so yesterday um, my girlfriend, Emily and I, who I would really say that we are in a co-creative relationship yeah. in all ways. Like we get, we're, and I do want to say really quick that, that, that thing of ideal vision, it applies to macro. It also applies to micro. So we do that process like in conflict. So in a, in within 20 minutes, what's your ideal vision of this mm -hmm. thing? What do you want? How do you want this to feel? What do you want the outcome to be? And then like, we're both doing what needs to be done in order to bring that vision to life. So micro and macro, but like an indication of a secure relationship to me, um, we were at Erewhon yesterday and this dude was checking out who was just an absolute God, like six, four brown curly hair, like the best looking face I'd ever seen. So like perfectly jacked that I couldn't even comprehend it. And the dude walks out of Erewhon 
and I see Emily like not able to not look at him. She had to look at, and I was like, yeah, that dude is like truly a God amongst men. I love that you find him beautiful. I also love that. Like you probably could hook up with him if you wanted to like that, that was really fun to me and our relationship around that kind of thing. Like to me indicated a high level of, um, confidence and comfort and security. Um, so yeah, I guess maybe that's like a, a marker of what might be called secure. I love that dynamic. Also, I probably know who the guy is. I know a couple of dudes. As you said that, I was like, oh boy, do I trust me? I know it's hard not to look. Um, no, and I, I think I love that even I love how you put that of like the co-creation. Cause I know that with my boyfriend Calm Tech guy, and he for so long he was a little more introverted, like he is introverted. Who am I trying to kid? And a little bit more avoidant. And I had my anxiety, but we both came together. And it's like for me, what I really see as secure is like when I'm with him it feels like a partnership. It feels like we're genuinely both yeah. here because we want to create the best. And half the time, even if I say something, he's like, you know, what matters to me is us. And he's like, and I want to make sure mm -hmm. that I am thinking about that when we make decisions. And it's like, what a beautiful fucking statement. But even then to go like a step further, I'm like, what it also means to me being secure is that when we leave each other, just because I haven't heard from him or just because we're both living life, like he works full time, I'm, I'm running two businesses. I don't, think that the relationship is going to end simply because we haven't spoken or when we become close with each other, I don't get uncomfortable by that. To me, really secure is like being really beautiful together and co-creating, but also then being able to self-create as well. Yes. Yes. Having yes. that balance of like when we're together, holy shit, but then we also still are still maintaining a sense of self. It's not an yes. always a we and an us. It's like there is sometimes a me and an I. Yes. I, I, I think that that's so spot. I, and, and that like a person's capacity to co-create very much relies on their, um, experiences of like singular creation. Yeah. You can't show up to something and co-create unless you are creating your own things without that person. It's like the, uh, that, that makes me think about how, um, in order to have the best love possible, that person I don't think can be your only love. And that's not necessarily say you have to love other people, though I do love other people. Like there are a lot of things that I love outside of the relationship and a lot of things that Emily loves outside of the relationship. And that just generates more energy to bring to the relationship. And then it sounds like you have the same thing. Yeah. It's like we both have so many things. And then when we come together, it's exciting to share those things. But then there's yes. that element of knowing, okay, well, I have certain friends I can do things with. And like my partner doesn't have to satisfy every fucking need of mine. He doesn't have to be my my best friend and my hairdresser and my go gym goer and my gossip queen and my chef. It's like, no, my partner has a lot of beautiful qualities we share together. But then I also have a life outside of it, not like a separate life, but a life that I lead. And I sometimes like, I have a little bit of a Hannah Montana, hi Miley Cyrus type thing where it's like my, I have my career and I have certain things that like he doesn't need to be privy to. But then when I share it with him, for him to get excited about successes with me and share in those joys that he knows individually I'm working on, when I can bring them into the relationship and we can share in that together, chef's kiss. Like it's the most beautiful. Amazing. Yeah. And it's like, it's such a co-creation. And I think that to me is like, that's the goal. Not that you feel, oh my God, I feel secure. That means that I never feel anxiety or I never feel avoidance. Yes. It's like, yes. But that I know that there is a balance between and that when I do feel anxious, it's okay. I'm human. Yes. And, and, and maybe this is your experience, but in the co-creative relationship or in the secure relationship, 
it is really not about never experiencing anxiety. What it is about is getting to use your experience of anxiety as material to bring into the relationship for you two to problem solve and create something better together. That's what it is. 100%. Like I've, I feel so comfortable. Like if I tell him something triggered me and he's like, share it, what happened? And even if I'm like, I know this has nothing to do with you. He's like, it's okay. It gets me, it lets me know you better. And he's like, at least I know yeah. more about he's you. He's dope. He's fucking awesome. Like that curiosity, he is such an evolved human. That's why I'm like, you're never going anywhere. But it's, I feel so grateful. But then at the same time, I don't put him on the pedestal because I'm like, but I'm equally bringing that to the relationship as well, because I know he also feels that about me. And that is why this is, it's such a healthy dynamic because it's not one versus the other. It's like, no, we're both co-creating. Exactly. Oh man, Flynn, Amazing. what an awesome conversation. This this turned into, all right, we're going to talk about this to, no, let's fucking go off on a tangent. And I am so, thank you so much for being on with us and sharing so much of your wisdom to everybody. And if for anyone that doesn't know where you are, we will link all this in the show notes, but where can they find you? Thank First off, thank you so much. I've enjoyed this so much. And I'm so happy that you've found your, that you've attracted are attracted to and are choosing that kind of relationship because that's really like a beautiful indication of millions of amazing things that you've done. So I Thank really you. appreciate and I'm happy for you. Um, you. I on I, really the the conversation is kind of popping on Instagram. That's like I, the comment section on my on my content is uh, really really fun and insightful really cool people on there. So the best place to start would be on Instagram and I'm at Flynn Skidmore. Sweet. And yeah, thank you I for will. asking. Of course, I will link your Instagram, TikTok. I have given up on TikTok for a little bit just because it doesn't make any sense to me. The algorithm doesn't make any sense. And the trolls are also really, really hard to digest. But nonetheless, you can find Flynn on both of those. And I'm just so excited. And hopefully let's do it again. We'll do another, we'll do another one later in the summer and we'll talk about more fun shit. We'll do it in North County. Sweet. All right, Flynn, I'll talk to you soon. Ciao for now. Have a great day. See ya.